Open in your Bibles tonight to Ruth chapter number one. Ruth chapter number one. And I realize we, we've devoted the majority of the service to the things we've done uh, tonight. And, and that's how we plan it. Amen. But I want you to know I realize that. Amen. I'm not, it ain't lost on me. I don't think it's six o'clock. Amen. So we're going to do our best to preach what the Lord would have us to say tonight. And then we're going to have a time of fellowship. Over in our life center, we'll have some pizza and some drinks and stuff over there. So uh, you're welcome to come over and enjoy that good time of fellowship. I will just take this one small liberty, make a couple statements about camp. You know something I noticed? Uh, you know, I get to talk all the time, so I never take time whenever we have testimony time over camp. Because really, to be honest, they all say it better than I could. Uh, and one of the things that I noticed that they said over and over, I heard person after person say it, was it's worth it. It's worth it. I've never heard anybody say, nah, you know, it just ain't really worth it. I've never heard anybody come up to camp and come back and say, you know, it was all right and everything, but I'm just not sure it was worth it. I wish I had been at Disneyland. You know, I've never heard anybody say that. Everybody that's ever, I'm just going to warn you now, if you're going, if you go to camp, it's addictive. All right. Uh, you go, you're probably going to come back and you're going to say, hey, it was worth it. And you're going to want to come back and be a part of it. And uh, so I appreciate all that the Lord did. Let me say number two, I had a little bit different role this year. It was the same in a lot of ways, but I had a few extra responsibilities. And that's because uh, Brother Richard Evans, uh, most of us know he's he's battling cancer. And uh, Richard was not able to be there. We praise the Lord for how far that, that God has brought Richard. And I'm excited next year for him to be back up there because I don't want all that responsibility again. Somebody say amen to that. But, uh, you know... Richard is one of those guys when he's at camp, uh, it's easy to miss how much that he does. Uh, you know, there's so much as the camp director that is behind the scenes that just makes the trains run on time. And you're not even aware that those things are happening. Well, two things I'd say. One, when you're the person that has to do it, you notice it. Amen. And uh, this year, a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of those responsibilities fell on my shoulders, and I'm honored and happy to, to do them. I, I don't mean to make it sound like a burden. It wasn't. But I mean to say it gave me a newer appreciation for all the work that uh, that Richard does to make camp possible. And uh, and number two, I would say this, the trains did not run on time this year. All right? So uh, <laughs> there were there were times we started a little late and this and that. And so I missed, that's what I'm saying, I missed Richard, can't miss you, Richard. And uh, while we're thankful for the goodness of God in our life and what he did this week and, and the Lord's enough, it was sure felt that Richard couldn't be there. And I want you to pray for Richard. I'm, I'm excited to have him back next year. We're trusting God to carry him through this and to bring him back. He'll be he'll be stronger and better looking than he's ever been next year. I, I know that is the case. So Ruth chapter number one tonight, and I'd like to read just six verses to you and then we'll pray. And then I have just a few short thoughts to share with you out of this passage of Scripture. Ruth chapter number one. Verse number one, the Bible says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Let's pray together. Father, we love You tonight. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for camp. Thank You for the good testimonies, how they ministered to my soul. Help us for these brief few moments, Lord, that we might glorify the Lord Jesus and that we might speak the truth of God into the hearts and lives of these that are here. We'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we read the book of Ruth, we are tempted to view the book of Ruth as the story of a woman. And certainly, the woman whose uh, name uh, this book bears is a central figure in the book of Ruth. Certainly, the book of Ruth has a lot to say about Ruth as an individual and the goodness of God and the grace of God in her life and the providence of God in saving her and bringing her into the family of God and into the lineage of Christ and preserving the testimony of that uh, promised seed that God had given back in Genesis chapter number 3, the promise concerning the seed of the woman. So there's a, a lot that concerns Ruth. But really when we read the book of Ruth, I'm struck that as it begins, you've got to go about five verses into it to even get to Ruth's name. And we pass a lot of other names on our way to hear the name Ruth. We hear uh, the name Elimelech. He is a uh, fella. He is the he is the husband of a woman by the name of Naomi, and he is the father. Him, uh, they uh, have two sons. He's the father. Naomi is the mother of uh, two sons by the name of Malon and Chilion. And so I, I say all that to say this: really, the book of Ruth it is a story about Ruth. But the passage that we've read tonight really doesn't talk a lot about Ruth. It's really the story of a family. Now, this family lives in a place called Bethlehem, Judah. And uh, there arises a famine in the land of Israel. And they decide to make the wrong decision concerning uh, God's will for their family. The Bible tells me that they arise and go down into the land of Moab. Now, let me say this. God had special provisions and requirements for the Israelites and the Jews as a people. If you or I was to uh, take a vacation to the part of the world uh, that at that time was Moab, I don't necessarily believe that would be a sin. But for these individuals living in this time, for them to abandon the land was for them to abandon the Lord. Uh, much like Jonah when he fled from the presence of the Lord and went down uh, into a ship to Tarshish. It's not that it was a sin for somebody to take a ship to Tarshish, but it sure enough was for Jonah. Somebody say amen for that. And for this family, when they leave the land uh, that God has put them in, what they are doing is running from the heritage of the Lord. They are running, we could say it this way, from the will of God for their lives. When we read through these few verses, these six verses this evening, we find that this young family paid a steep and grave cost for this trip down into Moab. Uh, there were graves there that wouldn't have to been there. There was heartache. That, had, that was there, that wouldn't have been there. Hey, there's tears and sorrow in the heart of folks that didn't have to be there, except that one day Elimelech decided, I'm going to run from the famine, I'm going to run from my problems, I'm going to run from trusting God, and I'm going to go down into Moab, and all my problems will be solved there. Here's what Elimelech found out. He found out there is a high cost to getting out of the will of God. And I want to preach for just a few moments tonight on the high cost of getting out of the will of God. You know, we understand as workers, just as you do, as church members observing this experience and, and uh, phenomenon of camp, that uh, very often these young people, they go up to camp, they hear from God, they make choices, they make decisions. And I've, I've heard people say sometimes, well, preacher, that won't last past September. Well, preacher, that won't last 
past July. And it is true. There are sadly a great number of young people uh, that go and they let God work in their hearts. And then whenever they go back into the world and they go back into their familiar environment, uh, a lot of times they don't keep those commitments. A lot of times uh, they stray away from the Lord. You say, preacher, that's awful. Well, you ought to see how adults do it. Amen. They, they do it a lot worse. <laughs> and uh, uh, some of them never even wind up getting right with God. Amen. They just live down in Moab. But I, I would say this tonight, that it is true. Some of these young people, all of them face a choice before them over the next year. All of them must make a decision as to whether they will walk with God, continue walking in the things they've received over the past week, or whether they will choose to walk away from the will of God, away from the work of God, away from the voice of God, and go down into a place that is out of the will of God. Let me say to you and I as workers, camp workers, we likewise have a choice. One of the things I heard over and over and over again was all the workers, man, talking about, hey, listen... God worked in my heart. God drew me closer to Him. Hey, God revived me. God recharged me. God, God, God got me all excited to serve Him and to live for Him. What about us over this next year? Are we going to stay close to God? And I hope and trust, you know, a lot of the camp uh, people, and what I mean by that is, is people that don't attend our church, but your young people come and, and people from your church come to our camp. You may not realize what an event this is for our church. Uh, we just got through uh, Friday night on the 4th, uh, spending all night as a church in prayer for our church camp. And we do this every year. We have an all-night prayer meeting. And uh, we'll stay up and, and we'll pray in shifts. And, and we beg God to work in camp and to work in our lives. You young people may not even realize that. Before you ever set foot on camp, there's been people bathing this altar in prayer. Begging God to work in your life. Some of the people you could look around and you say, well, I don't know who those people are. And they may not know who you are look at you, but if, if you told them your name, they'd say, oh, I know who you are because I prayed for you for this camp week. Very often, every year, I'll have church members that will say the same thing. Preacher, man, through that, through that prayer meeting, God just got a hold of my heart and God's working. So here's what I'm saying. This is true for campers. This is true for workers, and this is true for folks that didn't get anywhere near Big, Big Ridge State Park. All of us have choices to make over this next year as to whether we are going to let the work of God that He's done continue in our life. And I'm here to tell you tonight, we, it is our choice. We will make a decision, but I want you to understand there is a high cost to walking away from the will of God. Uh, God may take us back, I know He will. Uh, God will restore us. God will treat us with grace. But you don't think for one moment that you can get out in sin and it won't affect you. Uh, don't think for one moment there ain't scars that sin puts on your life and on your body and, and on your mind and on your heart. And when I read this passage, what it really is about is a family that gets out of the will of God and pays a steep price for choosing to go the wrong way and choosing to walk away from the will of God. I want you to notice three things tonight. And then we'll go eat pizza. Amen. I'm glad they got it over there. If it was over here and you could smell it, you'd riot. Amen. So I'm glad it's over there. Maybe you'll be patient with me this evening. Number one, let me say a word about the common deceptions of getting out of the will of God. You know, when a person chooses to walk away from God and the will of God, it is always because they have first lied to themselves concerning sin and its consequences. In fact, when I read this passage, I notice there are three lies that Elimelech is the daddy and husband, and Naomi as the mama and wife, three lies that they told themselves that allowed them to step out of the will of God. Hey, let me just say this right here. Ain't none of us, this ain't the first time we've sat in a church house. 
Uh, most of us, man, we've been under preaching. We've read the Word of God. We've been taught the Word of God. I, I'm saying this. Uh, listen, we, we didn't just uh, climb out of pagan darkness and have no clue who God is. Uh, in other words, I'm saying this. There's been light in our life. And if we're going to get out of the will of God, it's going to have to start when we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that all that we know to be true is not true. And that's how it began with Elimelech. He lied to himself. Well, what did he tell himself? Well, number one, I want you to notice. Verse number one says this. came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. In other words, there was no ability for them to grow bread, for them to grow crops, for them to provide for themselves. And uh, at that time, they didn't have elaborate irrigation systems where they could try to mitigate the effects of the judgment of God in their society. And, uh, listen, if it didn't rain, uh, it just you didn't eat. Amen. Uh, if it didn't rain, you just you didn't eat. If if if, if the crops didn't grow, uh, you just didn't eat. They didn't have Twinkies yet. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, Twinkies will survive anything, man. We don't even know what they're made out of. I think a mediator hit uh, a, a, a mediator a meteor hit the earth, cracked open, and millions of Twinkies flowed out. We don't even know what they're made out of. We just eat them. You can't kill them, and they don't go bad. And uh, let me give you a word of advice. Don't put anything in your body that never goes away. Amen? <laughs> and that's how Twinkie is. But at, listen, at that time, uh, if it didn't rain, if there wasn't crops, you just didn't eat. And so they were in a mess. Here they are in the will of God, and all of a sudden they're unhappy. All of a sudden things ain't going well. All of a sudden they feel like the, the walls are closing in. And here's what they choose to do. The Bible says a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. You know the first lie they told himself? Uh, they told themselves this, that sin is better. You know what they told themselves? Here's why they went to Moab. There's a reason the Holy Ghost mentions the famine along with their decision to go into Moab. They said, let's go down to Moab because I bet there ain't no famine down in Moab. And you know what we tell ourselves when we're tempted to sin? We tell ourselves that all of our problems and all of our heartaches and all of our unhappiness is the result of us living for God. And if we just started getting out in sin, living in sin, doing whatever we wanted and doing things our way, then we'd be happy. Have you ever found that to be true, though? I found in my life, hey, when I get in sin, my problems don't go away. My problems multiply. I find when I get out in sin, I can't meet my problems with boldness and confidence knowing uh, that I'm in the very heart and hand of God and His will. Instead, all of a sudden, I loop my confidence I'm worried. I'm wondering if it's chastening. I'm wondering if it's what I deserve. I'm saying this. Uh, the devil and the flesh will always tell you that it's better out in sin. And yet I've never met anyone that would say it's better out in sin. These precious girls, they sang about that prodigal son. I wonder what he'd say about it. I wonder what he'd say about the far country. I bet you he'd probably say this. Boy, them lights sure do glitter uh, from my daddy's house. But I found out it's not as beautiful once you get there. Uh, they believe the lie that sin is better. Number two, here's what they believe. They believe the lie that sin is benign. Uh, we were talking a little while ago about Brother Richard and, and God helping him through this battle with cancer. And very often when you use that term benign, that's the context you'll use it in when we talk about cancer. And broadly speaking, there's two types of, uh, of cancer or there's two types, we might say, of tumors or growths that a person that could have uh, in their body. There is what we call a malignant tumor. That means it is cancerous. That means it will spread uh, and it will attack the body. And then there's what we call a benign tumor. And that means that it is a growth, it is there, 
but there is no cancer in it and it is basically harmless as long as it is not disrupting the body's ability to function. I would say this, you know, Elimelech told himself, he said, we go down into Moab and uh, we'll find bread there. We'll find happiness there. We'll find peace there. But he was wrong. Number two, here's what he told himself. He said, I can make this decision to go into Moab and it don't affect anybody but me. You know, when you get in sin, you always tell yourself, this is my life and I'll live it any way I want. Can I remind you, number one, if you're saved, it ain't your life. Jesus holds the keys. He, he's got the receipt, my friend. He bought and paid for you. Uh, you're, you are not your own, the Bible says. You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You're the temple of the living God. It is not your life. It is not your body. It is not your decision of how to live your life. You belong to God if you're saved by His grace. And then let me say this tonight. Hey, most of us were to be honest. We'd have to admit no man is an island unto himself. We all have people whose lives our life touches. But the devil will come along and say, well, you live any old way you want. It is your life. Well, I wonder how your children would feel about that. I wonder how your spouse feel about that. I wonder how your mama and your daddy would feel about that. Uh, I wonder how your church family would feel about that. Uh, we talked a little bit, and I, and I won't, I won't go at length. So I wouldn't do that because I just wouldn't, I wouldn't betray privacy and there's no reason to, but several kids mentioned about something happened. A couple of campers happened to leave and I wouldn't tell you who it is or anything, but what happened, there was a custody change, uh, for a couple of kids while they were up at camp. And they weren't aware of it. They had been uh, living with some family members due to a very, very bad home situation. And, and there was a custody change. And they wound up having to leave camp and go back into that bad situation. And, um, you know, of course, there was nothing we as counselors, workers could do. Everything that had happened was legal and above board. One day, park rangers come in in their official capacity and said, we need to verify these children are here. We need to notify you there's been a change. And so that took up about an afternoon getting all that squared away. When we told the children, they was devastated. They broke down weeping. They did not want to go back into this situation. And uh, and I'll say this, man, our, our, our campers really, they loved on them with the love of God. I mean, they gathered around them. And, and prayed with them and, and told them everything's going to be all right. God's faithful and, uh, and so on and, and so forth. But, you know, there, there's adults in that situation that are making decisions and saying, it's my life, I'll live any way that I want. But the truth of the matter is, hey, it's disrupting those children's lives. It is devastating them. They are paying the toll for the choices that parents are making in their life. And we'll tell ourselves, hey... It don't affect anyone, it is just me. That's a lie that you tell yourself. Your life always affects other people. But then beyond that, whenever these young people had to be, you know, taken from camp, it didn't just affect them, man, it spread through the whole camp. I'd be walking through the parking lot and I'd look over and here's a group of three or four girls just sitting there bawling. You'd say, honey, what's the matter? And they'd, they'd say those, uh, that child's name and talk about how, how hurt they were, how bothered they were about it. You know, God even used that in our camp and He always, He's good in our life, and He's faithful. But I'm saying this, even those young people, when this happened to them, it, it just spread throughout the camp. You know why? Because it ain't just you. It ain't just your life. It ain't just my life. The devil tried to tell you sin's benign, man. It ain't going to spread. It ain't going to affect anyone else. You can live the way you want, and it ain't going to spread, but he's a liar. It, it'll, it'll run through like wildfire in your family and destroy everyone in its path. And then the third thing they... They told themselves was that sin is brief. When Elimelech makes his choice to go down in the country of Moab, listen how it says it in verse one. It says a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn. 
in the country of Moab. Now, to sojourn, it's something in between a move and a vacation. It's not saying I'm just going to spend a few days, but it is saying I'm going to spend a few months, maybe up to a year. This is not a permanent thing that I am doing. You know, when Elimelech takes his family down in Moab, he don't intend on spending a lot of time there. But I want you to notice what it says in verse number 2. It says they came into the country of Moab and continued there. We're told a little later on in our text, verse 4, they dwelled there about 10 years. Let me say this, sin will keep you longer than you plan on staying there. It'll keep you longer than you plan on staying there. I've never met anyone in my life that said, you know, I planned on being out of the will of God a lot longer, but I just got bored with sin, came back to God. I've never met anyone said that. I've never met anyone said, you know, I I'd planned on uh, on staying in this sin for longer than this, but it just, you know, I just kind of got tired of it and has been bored with it, and so I just, you know, I'm uh, my schedule's open now. I'm looking for other sins to commit. Oh, instead, you know what the story always is? It's always this way. I never intended for it to be this bad. I never thought it would have kept me this long. I would have never dreamed it could have cost me this much. And I'm saying this tonight. One of the lies we tell ourselves is that we can just walk in and out of sin like we're checking in and out of a motel and that sin is going to let us go. Hey, listen, friend, that ain't how it works. You get into sin, it'll hold on to you longer than you want to hold on to it. It'll destroy your life and it'll take uh, up residence in your heart. So we see the common deceptions of sin. Number two, I want you to notice tonight, the collateral damage of getting out of the will of God. There were some unintended consequences that took place. You know, sin always has unintended consequences. That's what collateral damage is. Collateral damage uh, is, uh, you know, I'm going to take it. We're getting ready to come in the 4th of July. We celebrate 4th of July around here. We celebrate America around here. We ain't embarrassed about it. We ain't ashamed of it. We ain't, we ain't praying about whether to have the flag up or whether to take it down. Uh, we ain't ashamed of it. We're, we're going to celebrate 4th of July. My favorite part of 4th of July is blowing stuff up. It is, man. I mean, I'm already on whatever list ATF has, so I'll just go ahead and say it. My favorite part is, is blowing stuff up. I mean, not like buildings or people, but like, you know, two-liter Coke bottles and, and watermelons and stuff. I mean, I love the fireworks is what I'm getting at. I, I love and enjoy the, the fireworks. But, you know, I found this. Uh, you got to be careful with anyone with fireworks, but especially men, and particularly men that are allegedly grown. Because we've done lost the childlike fear and we have moved into the realm of customization when it comes to fireworks. We're like, I wonder what would happen if I cut this one apart and took, and poured all that stuff in with this one and then set it on fire. I wonder what that'd do. <laughs> and uh, invariably, when you're having doing fireworks stuff like that, there'll always, at least when I do it, there's always collateral damage. There's always something you tear up that you didn't mean to tear up. You know, when you get out of the will of God, there's always something you tear up that you didn't mean to tear up. Well, what happened to them that they didn't plan on? Number one, I want you to notice this. Verse three, the Bible says Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left and her two sons. Number one, let me say this. We see the desertion of the family. The desertion of the family. You know what happened when Elimelech went down in sin? Uh, there came a day when he wasn't there for his family the way he planned on being there for his family. You know what will happen if you get out in sin? You may say, well, preacher, I'm going to get into sin, but I'm still going to be everything that my family needs me to be. I'm still going to be everything that my kids need me to be. I'm still going to be everything that my spouse needs me to be. But you know what will happen? Sooner or later, uh, the, the devil will ask for your kids. The devil will ask for your marriage. The devil will ask for your church. The devil will ask for your testimony. And before you know it, you know what will happen? Your family will look around for you and you ain't nowhere to be found. 
I see the desertion of the family. I see there came a day uh, whenever his children had to pay the price. Number two, I want you to notice the deterioration of their faith. The Bible says they took them wives, the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Now, I don't know no Moabite women. I'm sure they're lovely people. If you got, if you've done 23 and me, your, your, your blood, and you've got Moabite blood, I, we're fine. I got no problem with you tonight. Uh, but I would say this for a Jew at that time, it was considered a great act of disobedience for them to intermarry with a Gentile and particularly a pagan Gentile that had not converted uh, into the family of Israel, into to Judaism. The word we use is the word proselyte. To marry someone that was not a proselyte into Judaism was considered a grave sin and act of disobedience. You know what I find? Elimelech, he's married to a Jewish woman. He's married to Naomi. Their names and their testimony sort of betray to us that at one time they had walked with God and they had known God. But see, now they've spent all these years raising their boys down in Moab. And they may say they got a Jewish home, but they got Moabite children. Boy, I'm just going to say that again. They may say they got a Jewish home, but they got Moabite children. They may got Jewish blood running through their veins, but when they go looking for a wife, they go down to where the Moabite girls are. Can I say this? We may say we have a Christian home, but what's so Christian about it? We may say, well, I, I got a Christian home, preacher. Well, you, you may, but what about, have, have you got Moabite children? <laughs> have you got children that have been weaned on the, on the appetites of the world and the things of the world and sin? Here's what I'm saying. When, when the parents get out and sin, it won't be long. It'll, it'll drag the kids along with them. You know, part of the reason why what we're doing is so difficult, and this is not universally true. I mean, my kids were up at camp this week, and, and, and there's a parents here tonight that you love the Lord and you love your kids, and that's why you sent your kids to camp. But invariably, there's always some children at camp that are there because someone loves them and has pushed them to go. But it has not been the parent. They have no witness in the home. They have no godliness in the home. There's no light of truth in the home. And part of the reason what we're doing is so hard to do, part of the reason, hey, you ought to give these kids a break. Part of the reason it's so hard for them to serve God when they get home is very often they're the only ones doing it in their home. They're the spiritual light in their home. You're looking at a child, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, a teenager sometimes, and you're asking them to be the spiritual head of the home. It ain't no wonder that it's an uphill battle. You know why? Because it is just an expected thing that when parents get out of the will of God, kids are going to soon follow. They're going to soon follow. Hey, I see the deterioration of their faith. But then number three, I'd say this. Look at verse four. The Bible says this, and they dwelled there about 10 years. I see the decade. That was forfeit. You know something they never intended on doing? Spending 10 years there. That was 10 years of their life they couldn't get back. By the fact that their boys married while they were in Moab, and judging from the customs and what was socially normal at the time, I have every reason to believe this, that they, that these boys, they spent their formative years in the land of Moab. Years that they were raising their children. Years that their children were learning who God is and what God expects. And they're not raising them anywhere near the true worship of the living God. They're raising them down there in Moab amongst the pagan worship of a false God. Can I say this? Not just in the sense of time is precious and you cannot get time back. Let me say, especially to our parents, the time that we're spending right now is more precious than time generically speaking. My boys are only young one time. My children are only little 
for a little while. And this time, hey, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying as regards my responsibility, this 10 years is more important than 10 years when I'm, when I'm an empty nester. It's more, and I'm not saying you can't be, all I'm saying is there are things going on right now in the development of my children. It's important. It's imperative that I be in the will of God. And you say, well, preacher, one day I'll serve God. That may be true. But that's not to say that you will be able to do on that day. That you will have the entrance into the life of your children on that day. The entrance that you have in their life today. There came a day that Naomi came back home and served God. But she never got those years with Malon and Chile on back. Those years were precious. And I'm saying this. One decade is not interchangeable with another one. There are things God is doing in your life for a season and a period of time that is precious. They forfeited that time and they could not get it back. Well, finally tonight, let me just notice this and I'll be done. I see when I read this passage of Scripture, I see the common deceptions of getting out of the will of God. That sin is better, that sin is benign, that sin is brief. I see the collateral damage of getting out of the will of God. The desertion of their family the deterioration of their faith, the decade that was forfeit. But finally tonight, I want you to notice the cost demanded of getting out of the will of God. What ultimately did it cost them? Because they took a trip down into Moab. You know, we just got through, and I won't, I won't tell a long story, I don't have time to, but we just got through come back from vacation not long ago and we had some vehicle trouble and different things. You ever notice vacation always costs you more than you think it will? You ever stopped and thought, if I knew that vacation was going to cost me that much, I wouldn't have gone. It wasn't worth it. You know, I wouldn't have paid that much to go to wherever it was. You know that a trip out of the will of God always costs you more than you think it will. What did it cost them? Well, notice the grades in verse 5. The Bible says, And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. There was three graves in Moab that did not belong there. It did not have to be there. There was lives that were shattered, lives that were destroyed because Elimelech chose to get out of the will of God and go down to the land of Moab. And say, hey, listen, your life, the life of your children, the life of your spouse, the life of your loved ones, it ain't worth a trip down to Moab. Now you say, well, preacher, why do you think that it was only because they were in Moab? Because God was trying to get Naomi's attention. God was trying to give her nothing left to live for in Moab so that she'd turn around and come back home. You say, why would God do that? Well, because God was trying to bring a Moabite girl by the name of Ruth back to Israel so he could get her married to a man by the name of Boaz uh, so that they could have uh, a uh, grandson by the name of Jesse who could have a son by the name of David. God was working His will out in this family's life. But the main impediment was Elimelech and Naomi. They had chose to go down into Moab and dwell there. And so God said, all right, I'm going to have to make it miserable in Moab to get you up out of there. And there were three graves. They didn't belong there. God didn't want them there. They shouldn't have been there. They were wholly the product of sin and its consequences. No telling what your sin or my sin might destroy in somebody's life. Number two, I want you to notice the grief. The Bible says in verse number five that that uh, she becomes a widow down in Moab. And we can imagine, we can see the picture of this poor broken woman standing beside these three graves with no one no one to weep with her but her pagan daughter-in-laws that don't even know or worship the God that she knows. Her heart broken in pieces. And whenever, you know, when she comes back, she describes this grief. Look down in verse 20. I know we didn't read it, but verse 20. The Bible says that Naomi said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty, Mara means bitter. 
She says, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, she said, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Naomi comes home a bitter woman, an angry, heartbroken woman. Now listen, I'm glad God does something about that bitterness. God God helps her through that. Can I say this? Hey, when sin's done with you, uh, they won't call you joyful. They'll call you bitter. When sin's done with you, they won't call you happy. They'll call you miserable. They'll call you sorrowful. I'd say notice the grace, but I'd say notice the grief. No one's more unhappy than a Christian out of the will of God. No one's more unhappy. And then finally, you know, I just sort of thought of this in passing. I'm just going to mention it. We'll have an altar call and go eat. Notice not only the graves and the grief, but look at verse 6. The Bible says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. You know what's amazing about that to me? The Bible does not say the weather had broken in Bethlehem. The Bible does not say that the crops had gotten a little bit better in Bethlehem. The Bible don't even say that there was a good harvest in Bethlehem. The Bible says that God has given His people bread in Bethlehem. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? Well, here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, it was not just that things had gotten a little better. Enough time had passed where it was not just that the weather had broken. Enough time had passed where not only had the weather broken, but the crops had gotten a little better. Enough time had passed where not only had the crops gotten better, but they had brought in a good harvest. But Ken, enough time had passed where they hadn't just brought in a good harvest. They had done put up, they had threshed it, they had reaped it, they had put it up in the barns, and they had already started to make bread out of this that had grown. And enough time had passed where word could leak its way down the countryside from Bethlehem all the way down to Moab and somebody could tell Ruth. Rick and wonder how long the famine had been over in Bethlehem by the time that Naomi heard about it. I'd say this, hey, notice the graves, notice the grief. She said, what did it cost them? Well, notice the grain. I wonder how long things had been good back home and Naomi had missed out on it. Wonder how many blessings Naomi had missed out on while she had been down in the country of Moab. <laughs> wonder how many meals she had missed out on while she had been down standing beside graves that God didn't want there. Uh, and God blessing His people back in Bethlehem, Judah. I'm saying this. You say, preacher, what does it cost me to get out of the will of God? You may never entirely know. You may never until you get to heaven even realize the blessings you missed out on because you gave up on God, walked down into Moab because things got a little tough back in Bethlehem. I'm saying there's blessings that we miss because we get out of the will of God, because we walk away from God, because we choose to go out in sin. And that likewise is part of the great high cost. Hey, I wonder what God could do in your life and mine if we just have faith, stick in, serve Him, and live for Him over this next year. There is a high cost of getting out of the will of God. And I beg you, child of God, don't pay that cost. Stay in the will of God. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar is open and you don't have to wait for a note to be played. You can come if God's dealt with your heart. Maybe you just want to come and commit to live the next year.
for the glory of God. Maybe you just want to come and say, I, I'm, I've done made up my mind. I'm not going down to Moab. I'm not getting out of the will of God. I'm not going to let this fire die that God's put in my heart. I'm not going to let this work that God's begun in my life end. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on living for God. I'm not going to be one of those sermon illustrations, one of those sad stories of what happens in a person's life when they walk away from God. I'm committed to live for the Lord. Father, bless this invitation and may it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.